Welcome to class six of Halacha and Values. We're in the uh, process of evaluating Rabbi Yosef's claim that there's a consensus of Rishonim and Achronim that we today, or that anyone post-Talmudically, has no authority to issue new rabbinic um, gzerot. Uh, we're trying to figure out whether it's true that there's such a consensus, and if there is a consensus, how broad is the scope of that consensus. What sorts of decrees can you make and what sorts of decrees um, can you not make? Ravavadi's original question is whether you can, re, uh, whether we ought to make a decree banning um, reading by by um, by electric light on Friday night. We pointed out that there are other reasons to argue you shouldn't make that, but in that context he makes the point about making new decrees. So the first source he cited was a rush. Uh, this is source 19. The Rush said that he found uh, Rashi writing that in a Gonic responsum, uh, there's a bright though which states that sometimes you say anenu on a fast on a fast day before you start fasting uh, before you start um, fasting, and you stop saying it even though you're still you're, even though you're still fasting because the times of prayer go uh, prayers of the day start before the fast starts because you pray at night and the fast starts during the day. And also, you pray at night afterwards, and the fast is still is still going on. Um, but nonetheless, Gonim say that we do not practice saying it uh, in the evening beforehand, or even in the morning of the fast, lest he fall ill or have a seizure and be compelled to taste something. So it turns out that he was a liar in his prayer. Um, right, as opposed to the Chazan can say it in the morning. Right, this is our practice. The Chazan can say it in the morning because at least some people in the community will still be fasting. And um, the Rush says that the Gonim's concern, lest, um, lest you be a liar uh, in your prayers, so you can't say the prayer uh, before it, you've at least fasted half a day. The Rush says this is astonishing, uh, both for a technical reason and because how could the Gonim originate Xera after Ravashi sealed the Talmud? Uh, so I pointed out that within the rush, all we could say is not that there's a consensus, but that there's a machloket between the rush and the Gonim about whether you can make new decrees. But the truth is that uh, we've pointed out in Tosefta that the Rishonim, the Gonim probably did not make a decree banning anyone in this case at all. They just adopted their own pietistic practice and didn't try to spread it um, to the masses, and that probably doesn't count as a decree. So you can say that uh, everyone, so far as we know, the only position we know is the rush, and the rush says you can't make the sort of decree that we're talking about here, in the aftermath of the uh, in the aftermath of the Talmudic period, uh, we'll have to figure out exactly what kind of decree we are talking about here. But we know the cases that, um, as the rush understood it, you would not be able to make a decree banning people from saying anenu on Friday and um, on, on the sorry the night before and the day and the morning of a fast day. So I just point out that. The way the rush sets it up, also, however, there is an explicit breita, which says you do say anenu. So it's not just making a de- it's not making a decree in a new circumstance. It's an issue that has already been resolved. That there there are precedents that say that we in fact say anenu, and so the hypothetical decree that the rush opposes would not be a response to a new circumstance. Uh, and we'll try and complicate the question of new circumstance later and distinguish between new factors in old circumstances and completely new circumstances. But the um, the Russia's case, there's nothing new. It's exactly the same situation that was dealt with by the president. And the as he understood it, the Gonim were trying to make a new decree because they're all of a sudden afraid of, of um, 
people lying in their prayers, but why? Nothing changed. Um, there's no, right? He doesn't make any claim that people are weaker and less likely to fast or take oath less serious or anything like that. So he's talking about issuing a decree where the rabbis of the Talmud chose not to. And it might be that that counts as overruling them, and it's not a question of limited authority to make decrees, but limited author- authority uh, against the, when you're dealing with, against the authority of the, uh, of the Talmud. Right? The, the counter-argument of Adi would make is, no, this is just a case. There's not really no difference. If they could make decrees, it wouldn't be overruling because not making a decree is not a decision. It's just a, uh, right, it's, it's just a non-happening. That's an interesting debate in its, uh, in its own right. Okay, source 21, the Magadimish is dealing with the question of whether on Pesach you can knead dough with wine and oil as opposed to water. And the Ravim apparently says you can, and the Ravim says, but I say, perhaps this is only said for the eager who would bake it immediately, but to permit this to every person, as with other doughs, no. Right? So the Ravim seems to think that there is a ban against ordinary people um, kneading dough with wine and oil on Pesach. And the Magad Mishnah says, but I say, supporting the Ramam against the Ravid, we ought not to be gozer gzerot midatenu, out of our own minds, after the generations of the Gonim. So is this establishing the same principle as the Rush we saw above? So the answer is obviously not, because he says, after the generations of the Gonim, and assuming that means the post-Talmudic Gonim, the heads of the Gonik Yeshivot, so he's certainly putting the time at which we could make zerot um, back, you know, a generation, a century, whatever, you know, however long... <laughs> However, however long it is, three centuries, seven, right, five centuries, whatever, whatever you know, if you think that it's Ravina and Ravashi in the 6th century, and they go in and go until the 11th century, so the Magadish themselves in the 13th century, so uh, it's not the same principle. Secondly, um, here, the Ravid clearly doesn't, the, 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 the way that we set it up, the, right, the, the Magadish says that the Rambam rejects the Ravid's Xera on the grounds that there's no authority to make Takanos to make zeros after the period of the Gonim, but the Ravid made such zeros. So, and this time we don't have uh, anything that I know of which proves that the Ravid didn't actually think this. So what we have then after the first two sources is the Rush who says, uh, agrees that you cannot make xera after the Talmudic period. The Magi Mishnah who says, well, after the Talmudic period, yeah, but not after the Gonim. And the Ravid who seems to think even after the Gonim. Right? So we really have a three-way Three-way machloket, far from a consensus. Okay, source number twenty-two is The case of Maribrona is a woman who immerses with a ring on her finger, and he responds. Right, and the question is: Is she permitted to her husband? So he responds that uh, if the ring was sufficiently loose that it would fall off on its own, then uh, she is Torah to her husband, and then he offers his reasonings. Maribrona's Maribrona in the fifteenth century says that. Um, this psak, which he bases on a tradition uh, that he that he that he personally received from prior you know, greats of the world, Gedoli Olam, he says, "Look, there's a machlokus between the Rashba and the Ramban as to whether um, as to whether we make a uh, we make we make a decree that says that look, you're right. If you were to immerse with a tight ring, that would actually be a chatzitza, and the immersion would be invalid." So this machlok is about whether we say, okay, you can't go to mikvah with, with a loose ring, lest you go to mikvah with, uh, with a tight ring, whether because you get too used to it or because you misjudge what constitutes loose and tight. Uh, now the tour says that it makes more sense um, to Paskin that it's permitted to go to mikvah with a loose ring. But aside from that, um, we, right, the, the uh, Marie Brona says 
he thinks that the machloket between the Rashba and the Ramban, that machloket is only lichatzchila. Should we tell the woman, no, don't go to mikveh doing this, take off your ring. But if she's already gone to mikveh, uh, right, the Rabbi Brona says, everyone would agree that she is permitted to her husband. Why? Because telling her that she's not permitted to her husband, that she has to immerse again, that would be, um, he says, right, that that would be making a new that would be making a new decree, and um, right, everyone agrees the miyom right miyom shenechta matalmud from the day that the talmud was sealed lo nischadesh gzerish lo matalmud no new decree has been originated that we haven't found the talmud how do we know that we know that from the rush uh, who's talking about what he refers to as the seizure of the gonim meaning the gonim is fear they would have a seizure and be forced to eat after saying anenu uh, the night before or the morning of a fast. So the Marie Barona understands himself to be following in the tradition of the Rush, by, um, but I thought that Marie Barona actually seems to be saying something very different than the, uh, than the Rush. So Marie Barona says that we could make a decree um, saying that she's not allowed to go to mikveh, or at least it would be reasonable if we had made such a decree, there's no reason to think it was invalid, just we can't make a decree that invalidates her going to mikveh. Um, and, and if we generalize that, he seems to really says that we can ban actions, but we can't undo the status of already performed actions. So let's go back to the Russia's case. Right? The Rush doesn't the, the the decree of the Geonim that the Rush believes himself to be responding to, that hypothetical decree, does not undo a prayer when it's already said. It tells you in front, up front you shouldn't say on Enu. It doesn't mean that you're not Yosef Shmona Esrei uh, if you said on Enu. So by that uh, by that logic, then um, the way that Marie Brown explains it, the Rush <coughs> should have no problem with the Godin making such a decree. So I'm very puzzled as to how the Marie Brown sees himself in the tradition of the Rush, and I'm very puzzled about how Ravavadia sees him as supporting a blanket rule that you can't issue any kind of Xera, because Marie Brown seems to think you can issue one kind of Xera, just not one which takes effect, um, which undoes something already done. And let me point out, like, so what the Ravadi is talking about is not talking about undoing something already done. It's a, it's an upfront question about whether you're allowed, right, have an issue whether you're allowed to um, read read by lamp light, by um, by electric light on Shabbat. So I'm very very puzzled at the introduction of Marie Brona here. Um, but the puzzlement goes at every stage because I don't understand why Marie Brona thinks that he's following the. He's following the rush, and I don't understand why Ravadia thinks that Marie Brona is following the rush um, either, and therefore I don't understand how Ravadia can claim a consensus. Okay, that brings us to source number 23. Source number 23 is the Red Vaz in Yekar Tif Eret. This is a commentary on Mishnah's rhyme. So the, um, the Mishnah in Chala, chapter 2, says that if you take grains from from the diaspora and you bring them to Israel then just like Israeli grains grown in Israel diaspora grains grown in Israel also uh, you also have to take challah from them um, give it to a coin or burn it if there's no tahor coin and no tahor and, and the challah itself or the challah itself is not tahor um, whether, wherever the grain is grown um, right? if you're in Israel you have to you have to, right, you have to take challah before you eat it what about grains the other way that are grown in Israel and go out to the diaspora? So that's the machlok between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer says that since they were grown in Israel, you're chayev to take challah from them even in the diaspora. Rabbi Akiva says, no, they're in the diaspora. 
And Yerushalmi says, what's Rabbi Kiva's rationale? Because there's a Pasuk. And the Pasuk says, um, That's it, right? So the Shama seems unnecessary. Why not just write the land to which I am bringing you as opposed to the land which I am bringing you there? Um, so that the reason is, that's supposed to teach you, says Rabbi Akiva, that in Eretz Yisrael, you're obligated, it doesn't matter where the grains are grown, and outside Eretz Yisrael, um, you're, not obli- you're, you're not obligated um Right, as I right you're not obligated um, whatever the grain is either. It just depends on the place. All right, so that's the position of the of the Ramam as Rabbi introduces it. But the Ravid says uh, that Rabbi Rabbi Kiva only their whole argument was um, was the Oraita. Um, but the Rabbanan, um, right, that's why Rabbi quotes the pasuk, which suggests we're arguing on the Oraita level. But the Rabbanan, um, everyone agrees that fruits or grains from Israel that are taken to the diaspora require um, require, require challah. Um, right, so we get that move very easily. Everyone agrees, right? Even they, it looks like they're arguing, but everyone agrees about this. So, by, so we saw earlier that in Mar, in uh, Marie Brona that he thought that the dispute between the Harashba and the Ramban about loose rings was um, was only on a, a level of Lechatechila, what you should do, and doesn't invalidate it afterwards. And here, the uh, Ravik claim that the Machlokas Rabbi Yezir Rabbi Kiva is only Deoraita and not Deorabadan. Uh, but the Rambam, reje- as report as the Radbaz reconstructs him, rejects the position of the Ravid. Why does he reject the position of the Ravid? Um, why doesn't he think that it's Asr Deorabadan? Because he says that we ought not to originally exert out of our own minds. And so he uses the same, right? So the Radbaz, to explain the Rambam, uses the same language as the Magid Mishnah. Um, that we just saw. Since it's not mentioned anywhere. And right? So the Yerushalmi has an extensive back and forth about this Mishnah and never mentions that there's, that there's a Chiyav Drabanan. So the way that the, um, the Red Baz sets it up, it seems like the Ravit the um, the Ravid thinks that we make a a decree um, that right forcing people to take challah from his from his from grains grown in the diaspora, and Rabbi, um, and the Ramam and the Ramam says no right there can't be an agreement about such a decree since it's not mentioned anywhere. So this really is not on point either I think if we understand it correctly because. The dispute between the Ravid and the Rambam is not about whether we should make a decree. Uh, the dispute between the Rambam and the Ravid is uh, uh, is about whether such a decree had been made. Right? The Ravid, Ravid doesn't claim he's making a decree. He says that, that the dispute between Rambam and Rambam Kiva was only Deoraita, but they agreed to Rabbanan. So, that really, right, so we, we can talk about what sort of evidentiary standards you need. We, you could say that we should not... Um, Imagine that there is exera, or or presume there is exera if such exera is not mentioned in the uh, not mentioned in the Talmud. But you can't say that anything to do with our authority to make exera uh, post Talmud because that's not an issue. Nobody thinks they're making exera. The only question they're trying to do is figure out whether there is a Talmud exera. I want to hold this case. I think it raises another a question that's going to be very important to us all the way through an issue, which is how do we have a conversation about whether there was a decree. In the past or not. So the way the Radbaz reconstructs the Ramam's position, the Ramam's position is 
rabbinic decrees should be mentioned in prior rabbinic literature in the Talmud or the Mishnah or some something contemporary. And if there's not no mention of it, then there's no drabanan. Um Homer, if there's if there are extensive discussions and still it doesn't come up. But the right bit is reconstructed by the Red Buzz says no, it doesn't have to be mentioned because there must be some abstract criteria by which we decide whether there whether they would have been gozer or not. Uh, right? So we're not it's not it's not a question of our finding a tradition, says the the Ravid. Is that if this is the kind of case which meets the criteria set up by Vasius Yaglatora, then in the right, we don't need to have specific evidence. We can just say, look, this is the kind of thing they ban. Right, so that's a that that itself is a, an important issue, but it's not the issue Ravadi is talking about because this is not an issue of authority at all. It's a question under what circumstances we presume that those people who had the right of authority exercised it. Okay, that was source number 23. Um, now we go to um, source 24. This is also by the Rabaz. This is a, this is the Shut Rabaz. Um, so he says he was asked a question about a woman who had a hargashah, a sensation of, some, of um, something being exuded at the time when she expected um, her period. But when she checks, she finds nothing or finds, right, or, or finds something which Seems very clearly not to be blood. So the Rabbaz refers you to Trimas Hadeshin. And the Trimas Hadeshin is Machmir if they find nothing afterwards. And he says like, you know, that we declare her Tmeya because we assume that there was blood, but the blood was somehow wiped up or lost. And the Rabbaz says that makes no sense to me at all. It's utterly incorrect for me because he's suggesting that this is a right the issue that we genuinely presume that she bled. And it's certainly not because there's a rule. The rule says it's not, that the woman does not become Tmeya de Oraita unless she both has a sensation and sees blood. So therefore, the uh, um, Rabbi says we have to reinterpret the Shuma uh, Sadeshin. And we have to say that what he meant was that there's a Dirabanan, that since there are times, right, there are circumstances in which the, uh, the in which having had a sensation has a Dirabanan effect, particularly about if we find blood later, then we retroactively uh, time the blood um, to the right to the time that she had the sensation. Therefore, we should also make a rabbinic decree that she's tmeya even if she just has a sensation. Um, but the um, Rabbi says, if that was what the Truman Sadeshin meant, I would still oppose it, because we should not be making um, new. We should not be making new zeroed up. So this seems to suggest that the Truman Sadeshin, in fact made a new decree and the red Baz and the um red Baz opposes it um okay so um let's see right what is that how, how does this play on our on our role so it does seem as if here the red Baz suggests that we can't make a uh, we can't make a new decree at all as opposed to the truma edition whom he understands as making a new decree, we'd have to look at the Trimazadeshin to see whether the Trimazadeshin himself understands himself to be making a decree, or simply believes that he um, that he has the right to presume that such a decree was made by the was made by the Talmud. Uh, if the Trimazadeshin is making a claim to actually issue a decree, so then you know a little puzzling because Rabbaz is an Achron and the Trimazadeshin is a Rishon, so I'm not not clear how you establish a consensus by having. You know, by claiming that by having in a certain circumstance where an Ahron 
uh, thought it was his right to um, to overrule to overrule the Rishon. It's truly a very early Achron in the case of, in the case of the Red Baz. But against him, you have the uh, against him, you have the Trumas who thought we could make such a decree. So we could claim that Trumas didn't really make such a decree. He just presumed such a decree. That's possible, but that's not the way the Red Baz um, um, assigns it. So just on the surface, all what the Rabbaz reports is a machloket, one, but he poskins that we can't make, uh, that we ought not to originate decrees out of our head. Uh, but we should still point out, though, that even if we think that's what's going on, that that's what the, the Rabbaz holds, we should not make decree out of our own heads, even though the Shumas Hadeshin did make such a decree, and we're going to say halachik kibasrai or something like that, the Rabbaz is more important than the Shumas Hadeshin for our purposes. But it's still important to recognize that the Rabbaz is not failing to respond to new circumstances, he is saying that nothing changed since the time of the Talmud, and therefore we ought not to make a new decree. We don't know how he would respond if there was, if, but if there was a claim of new circumstances. Okay, uh, so much for source number 24. Source number 25 is the Shut Rivash, but the while it's printed in the Shut Rivash is actually a response of Rabbeinu Nisim. And he's dealing with uh, a question that's asked that sent to him about a community which had uh, instituted the practice that for real, they would announce all real estate sales in shul for four consecutive weeks, and the sale would become um, binding um, at the end of or the, at the end of thirty days, meaning at least four uh, four shul uh, four shul announcements. And if anybody, anybody who doesn't submit this, their claim. Right to the, you know to claim that this, that there isn't clear title and that they need to be satisfied before title is cleared, um, they have they have those four weeks to make to make such a claim, and the question that's being asked is, hang on a sec, doesn't that violate the the prohibition actually? If we're having real estate announcements, isn't that about as bachadik right as week as a week as weekday as it can be? Um, the right, which was would make the Ron happy to say, but there uh, seems that the or the claim of the people asking the question is that the Ra'ah of Arna Levi had endorsed their practice, and so therefore the um, the Ron does not have the option of just saying no. The person who told you this was wrong. So what does he do? Uh, so obviously the first thing he tries to claim is that what they're doing is not really following what the Ra'ah did. That's not our issue. And he says, even what Ra'ah agreed to, there is much to evaluate about it since this or this is much more weekday talk than the other sorts of announcements we, we would make. We, they made announcements about um, about um, ongoing divorce cases, about ongoing you know, land, uh, land, grabbing, uh, land grabbing cases. So he says, since, whatever, since this was done with the Council of Ra'ah, it is proper to justify it in the manner I will write. Namely, that Chazal already permitted Vachadik uh, conversation for the sake of public needs, and the establishment of clear title in real estate is a public need. Um, and even though he says, "Okay, you're telling me that we can do anything we want on Shabbos for a for a public need in terms of Dabar Dabras, that's not really true because we know that um, we don't open the courts, even though the courts can sometimes be a public need, um, because you have to write down your you have to write down your opinions." So what he says is, um, and so, the end, right, so in the end, so in the end, he says that uh, we're going to start with by saying that the that we allow weekday speech, we allow weekday speech for um, public needs, 
um, but we still don't allow court records for public needs. What's the difference? Be uh, that's the difference between them. So the answer is that there, um, the whole basis for these prohibitions is Xero lets you um, lest you write something down, and we have all in right and. Don't say that in such cases as well, I mean, like our case of where we're announcing real estate sales, that just like we, um, just like we ban uh, holding court and issuing verdicts on Shabbat because we're afraid that you'll come write them down, so let's also ban these announcements because we're afraid that people will come write down the amounts or whatever it may be. Um, his answer is because we have only what the sages listed and ought not to originate exert out of our heads. So on the surface, that seems like an excellent proof for Havadia's thesis, but it's not either. Because the key line you have is because we have only what the sages listed. So where do the sages list? So the answer is that there is a, um, right, that there is a Gemara which lists a whole series of things and says, right, um, right the Gemara in Beit's, Gemara Mishnah and Beit's Adaf Lamed Vav, um, and it's, right, and right, it says that you can't do Chalitza uh, or Yibum, and uh, you're not done, right? You're not mekadesh, right? So right, you're not done, and not mekadesh. So All those because of a decree, lest you come to write. Uh, okay. So what the um, what the Ron thinks this means is that um, that list in the Mishnah is the list of things that they ban, lest you come to write, and therefore the Ron says right that. If they were right, if they were also going to ban business announcements, they uh, they should have said so. So the Mishnah doesn't, and the, and we only, we right, we only follow the decrees listed by Chazal. It doesn't mean we only follow the decrees made by Chazal. We don't have authority. It means that we assume that the Mishnah is a comprehensive list of places which where we ought to decree, because again, nothing has changed. There's no claim that anything has changed, uh, circum right, circumstantially. It's just that then they didn't perceive it. As a public need to have a these announcements on Shabbat, and this community believes it is such an announcement. So that's probably a circumstance where I would say is there is a um, there right there. I, it's not. It's certainly it's certainly not a, an unprecedented circumstance. It might be that it's the um, that it has the old question: Can you write? Um, can right, can you write down? Can you write? Can you um, can you issue announcements that um, that might tend to writing that might, might tend to writing? So the the Ron seems to think that the Mishnah gave a list which was intended to exclude others. The Mishnah said we ban these four things: din, kedushin, achlis, and yibum, lest you come to write, and other things we permit. So that sounds like we permit business arrangements, and right, and that's the um, but and the grounds on which we represent we we permit business arrangements. Iran says is that because we only have those cases that Chazal listed. But again, what he doesn't mean is we only have those decrees made Chazal. What he means is that in this case we have a text, and the text says that we ought not to make any decrees other than those, or at least that's the way he reads it. So again, I don't know that right. What what that wouldn't prove anything. About cases where we have no list of of intent, decrees intended to be exhaustive, uh, in this case. So it's a it's a special case where the uh, as I understand it, where the Ron says, look, since the the Gemara lists the cases where he made such a decree, and of course the, this is me. Of course the rabbis knew 
that some of the things they were permitting could also lead to writing, but they thought that they might have sufficient public utility, it was worth the risk that someone, that, that someone might write. Um, so to, to claim that there's a blanket rule that we, don't make, that we don't make new decrees because he says we don't make decrees about lest one come to write on Shabbat that exclude things that aren't already in the Mishnah, that wouldn't prove anything at all. And we also don't know what, happened, what would happen if the question came up about a new technology for writing. Um, right, we, don't, you know, we, we don't really know what the Mishnah would say. It sounds like the, the Ran might say that um, we can't make decrees in that case either because excluded by the Mishnah. But you can see someone making counter-argument. No, all the Mishnah does is exclude decrees beyond those things, assuming that nothing radically changes. But if you have a radical change in circumstance, Maybe even um, maybe even the Gemara, the Gemara here would agree that oh well you know what the Mishnah can't be intended to exclude that because the Mishnah never thought of that. Okay, so much for source twenty five. Moving on to um, moving on to what I believe is our uh, is our is our um, well that was our last source wasn't it? Okay, so let's. Uh, let's try and put everything. Let's try and put everything together. Then the Ravadia claimed that there was an ironclad consensus. So we showed that it seems you know, may, the the rush seems to think the Gaonim disagree with this consensus, although we are not convinced. Um, the Radvad seems to think that the uh, that the sorry the, the Magid Mishnah um, seems to think that. The Ravid disagrees with that, and the Red Baz suggested that as well, and that might really be so. Uh, it might be that the issue is Gaonic period as opposed to uh, as opposed post Gaonic period as opposed to post Talmudic period. But it seems to me that the simplest thing to say is that um, here we have to start introducing distinctions. Is that um, there may be a consensus that we cannot issue new decrees. Invalidating things that the Talmud validated, uh, barring a claim on our part that something has changed to right to cause us to issue such a decree where a prior Beitin did not. But if nothing has changed, we just have a different evaluation of whether we should make this decree or not. So then the prior Beitin, uh, then the prior then the prior Beitin wins. So that's a much narrower rule than Ravadi wanted to say. Um, that right because it doesn't mean we can't make new. We, it means we can in fact respond to new circumstances. If there's a new thing like an electric light, um, then we can make new decrees uh, on that principle. It's only if right it's something that already exists in the time of Chazal. And it might be that even uh, that if something changed, let's say the price of uh, the price of the oil used in lamps um, grew exponentially, and that makes it much more likely for us to to tilt the um, Right, to tilt the oil wick, or maybe even if there's oil lamps, we stop using wicks, and so now, right, all, all right, that would be a ground for leniency. But let's say ground for stringent, for stringency. Um, right, so the electric light is a new circumstance. So a claim that we cannot do things, we cannot make decrees in situations where Chazal and or the Gaonim chose not to, it doesn't tell us anything about responding to new circumstances. Aside from that, also we saw that maybe. Uh, even if it does exactly fall into the parameter that there is something of a consensus about, and we disregard the fact that the Ravid disagrees, but the Maribrona makes clear that 
that consensus would only apply to uh, invalidations, but really it might be that ev everyone agrees that we can make decrees that are uh, upfront that says you can't do this as opposed to if you did this, it didn't work. So I don't think we have everybody's consensus at all. And I pointed out that part of the confusion is that it's very hard to tell um, sometimes, right? That was the confusion that became uh, most evident, right? I think where I think there was simply a, a, a misunderstanding, I don't know what was brought in, which was about the, um, about taking challah from diaspora grains, where the argument is not about whether we should make a decree. The answer, the argument is about whether they made a decree. And I don't think even Ravadia believes that the proper principle I don't think Ravadia thinks that we're not allowed to retroject, um, right, to claim that Xavier was always there. That doesn't make any sense at all. That doesn't have any, uh, right, why, you know, if we, if we think there was Xavier Rabbanon, I don't think that's an issue at all. Uh, where I think that there, uh, I think that an underlying question here, which has to be addressed, is um, maybe there are multiple kinds of Xavier. There are Xavier in response to circumstances. And there are Xerists who think came in just automatically at some kind of one moment. Yeah, Torah and said all these Xerists come in automatically. And so conversations about whether Xerists existed in the past are not really conversations about whether a specific piece of legislation was passed, but about whether this is the kind of thing that is an automatic Xerist. Oh, look, that fits the parameters under which there's Xerists. And really there was just some kind of... Um, you know, fundamental rule, all things that should, you know, that are slippery slopes are, right, are also drabbanan. Uh, so it could be that uh, we could try to recreate the consensus Ravadia says by saying that we no longer make arguments of that sort. We don't say this has always been prohibited uh, if, in fact, um, it's a circumstance that didn't exist in their time. Like that's Rav Moshe's, Rav Moshe's case that we... So, right, that, you know, about electric timers, Ramosha says they would have banned it. Okay, they would have banned it, but they didn't because that, right, the notion that, you know, that we automatically, we automatically, that the, the Xera automatic, the, the or notion of Xera is automatically updated to include all new cases in which that principle would apply. <coughs> maybe, maybe Ravati is right, although that's not what this evidence proves, but maybe, there's an intuition that we just don't do that anymore. We don't, there are no automatic zeros. But that wouldn't tell us that we can't consciously make zeros uh, our, our own, right? And so to, be, to not make a zero out of our head really means that um, we should not make a presumption of a zero. We have to take the responsibility by actually legislating. So I could see Ravadius, um principle being sustained thereby even though it wouldn't be in accordance with the evidence. It wouldn't be demonstrated by the evidence. From the evidence, I think there's really very little. Um, it's kind of surprising because usually everybody's evidence is directly on point, and here it's not. Um, the most you can say is that maybe the rush uh, thought there was um, thought there was such a principle in cases where there had been um, in, in cases where the Talmud had explicitly permitted something. Maybe the rush thinks you cannot later um, you cannot later forbid even by even when you are choosing to legislate. But that's much narrower. That doesn't and it certainly doesn't prevent us from reacting to new circumstances. And again, we distinguish between two kinds of new circumstances. One is where the thing we're trying to forbid is the same thing that hasn't been forbidden in the past, but there are new circumstances around it. 
Um, let's say, for example, that we want to ban saying Anenu and Shacharis because people are much less likely to complete their fast than their fast than they used to. That's one kind of new circumstance where I think you know, where we might be able, where even if you accept that there is some kind of principle that there are no automatic decrees, but we can make a conscious decree, and even if you think that we're not allowed, we're not allowed to overrule past decisions not to make a decree, maybe these circumstances are sufficient. And obviously, in cases where there's a totally new circumstance, such as there is the possibility of electric light, so if it were a good idea to uh, to ban that, because we genuinely think that if we don't ban that, then people will violate Yisrael Deiraisa. So I don't really see anything in Rav Avadia's line of evidence that would prevent us from doing that. Um, so going back to the beginning of uh, the work on this chapter, um, so what I argued is that we often want rabbis to have the capacity to create leniencies in the law to respond to modern circumstances, and that's most obviously in the case of Agunot. My argument is that I think that politically, it's not, um, it's not unreasonable for us to say that you can't, rabbis can't have authority to make leniencies if they don't have authority to make stringencies. And therefore, if you accepted um, Rabbi Vadya's principle that rabbis don't have the authority to issue stringencies, then, um, then, we sh- you know, then, then you have to stop making the argument that we need the rabbis to issue leniencies. But if you're willing to give the rabbis, a, right, so, but if the rabbis have, have the authority to issue stringencies, then they should also have the authority to issue leniencies. But what, it, what gives rabbis the authority to do this? So here again, I think it, it might be that the automatic kind of decrees does not require present public acceptance because it, those decrees are generated by the public acceptance at the, maybe when Ezra comes back, right under the National Cassis Agdola, um, of the principle of Asusia But if new decrees are not under that broad rubric of Asusia Glatora, but are responses to specific, circ- specific circumstances, so, they re- so then rabbis only have the authority given them by their communities. Now, I think that you cannot give rabbis authority to issue leniencies and not stringencies. You either give rabbis authority to legislate or you don't. And therefore, I think the reason that rabbis don't have the authority to issue leniencies is that we have not given them the authority to issue stringencies. And then we cover that up with a claim, well, we couldn't give them, so then we're stuck. But if you accept my argument that, in fact, we could give rabbis the authority to issue stringencies, and we do in narrow circumstances, the shuls that have ban- that have sumptuary laws you know, ban spending more than X amount of money or Y and all, right? All sorts of other things we can do. Um, and, um, right, or if, I guess those are the, although uh, none of those are formally preventive decrees, so it's interesting to know whether people, you know, to try and think of examples where we might want to issue specifically preventive decrees to prevent people from, uh, from violating the right this. Um, but my claim would be that if we want people to issue uh, to issue responses that are lenient, to legislate leniencies in, re- in reaction to new circumstances, we also have to give them the authority to do to issue stringencies. And right now, I think our community is in a situation where we don't really want to give rabbis authorities to issue new stringencies, and the price of that is that rabbis, I think correctly, don't feel themselves authorized to issue leniencies. That concludes the discussion of this chapter.